Thanks for being here for this episode of the Bottom Up Revolution podcast. I'm Rachel Quetno, Program Director at Strong Towns. Today's guest is a Strong Towns member and advocate working in Louisville, Kentucky. She comes from a line of activists and has been involved with bringing neighbors together for cooperative organizing around affordable housing and food access. Danita Wright is founder of the Coalition of West Louisville Neighborhood Associations and also serves on the board of the Louisville Association for Community Economics. Both efforts are focused on connecting neighbors with one another to build broad-based support for shared goals like a new community grocery store and efforts to preserve home ownership in the neighborhood. Wright has watched Band-Aid government programs try and fail to help her community, and she's starting to see outside money making its way into her neighborhood in a negative way. So she's a strong believer in the power of co-ops as a long-term solution to economic challenges. She sees cooperative organizations as the way of the future, ensuring that residents have a say in what takes place in their neighborhood and have the collective power to make it happen. So here's my conversation with Danita Wright. Danita Wright, thank you for joining me for this episode of the Bottom Up Revolution podcast. It's good to be talking with you today. It's good to be here. Thanks for the invite. Can you start by telling us a little bit about your background and what led you to care about being involved in your neighborhood? Again, my name is Danita Wright and I'm from Louisville, Kentucky. I grew up there uh, in the uh, disenfranchised part of Louisville called West Louisville. I like to call it disenfranchised because to call it poor section of town is just sort of demeaning to me. But saying disenfranchised part of town kind of opens up a conversation on what exactly happened there. You know, so and meaning racism, segregation, redlining, bought about issues of of gaps in economic wealth for the gap between the rich and the poor. It bought about violence. It bought about poverty. It bought about mental health issues. But you know what the oddest thing for me is there used to be a church on every corner in this area. And then I started seeing them close up and closing up like that. It just made me say, how? How is this happening? And and what are we becoming as a people, you know, as humans? What are we becoming? What led me to want to care about helping in my neighborhood was the fact that my mom, she fought so hard with the with neighbors in um, areas of like health and food insecurities and being in programs like the Food for the Elderly, Clothe a Child, and things like um, education. I saw them fighting, her and the neighbors. Even one time, uh, there was this lady, I forgot, I forget her name, but the neighbors were fighting. There was this intersection in our neighborhood, and it was uh, where Main Street crossed a, um, the street coming out of our neighborhood and kids and elderly and just the residents would use it to cross the street, cross that main street because it was a grocery store across on the other side. But there was no stoplight at that intersection. So 
people were getting hit by cars and the the residents fought and fought and fought for a stoplight to be there, but to no avail. And this one elderly woman, she literally would lie down in the middle of the intersection at, you know, certain times. And I, I just thought that just, is that what we have to do to be heard? You know, but they, guess what? They put a stoplight there. Okay. Wow. After she did that, they put a stoplight there. So it was that. And just, again, looking at my mom fight alongside her neighbors for equity. And I just, I, I picked it up. I, I picked it up and ran with it. Yeah. What are some of the the current challenges and opportunities in your neighborhood right now that you're uh, particularly working on addressing? Right now we are addressing gentrification. Gentrification, as you know, is when the developments move in, these big, huge developments. And it's it's really weird that after all these years, we've been redlined and now all of this money's coming, being poured into this area. But you're seeing uh, we buy houses or you're seeing these signs. And I have a girlfriend of mine, she, she lives on another part of this area. And her home is like $48,000, right? But the home next to hers just sold for $125,000. And it's just things like that, you know, just huge jumps in the value of the homes. I had learned a long time ago that, because I lived in Denver, Colorado, and I was on my way back home. Uh, I left Louisville for about 11 years. And before I came home, someone said, are you on your way back to Louisville? I said, yeah. And uh, this person, she said, guess what just flashed across my screen? Now, she worked in Denver Urban and Renewal. And what just flashed across my screen was there's going to be millions of dollars poured into your West Louisville neighborhood. And what you have to watch out for is that the violence in your neighborhood is going to shoot up. It's going to just be so much so much to bear, but all of a sudden it's going to stop. And she wasn't a prophet or anything. She just said, this is occurring from the West Coast and it's slowly moving to your area in the East Coast. And it's just something that's repetitious and it hasn't changed its spots, (laughs) so to speak. And so she knew exactly step by step. She told me what would happen. And this was, mind you, 20 years ago. So now everything she said is occurring. She said, watch for signs going up. We'd like to buy your homes. Watch for the violence to stop, you know, and it did. It stopped. And watch for certain developers wanting to come in and build certain things. And uh, like like she said, that money was going to be poured into and it's to sit back and watch what she said happening is so weird. It's so weird. And that's, so I'm trying, I try to tell my neighbors, don't sell, do not sell. Cause what she told me what happened, what happened is the, the prices of your homes 
the values of, of your homes are going to triple in value. She said triple in value. What's being told to us is that they're going to double in value. And I said, hold on to your homes. I'm telling everyone in the neighborhood, hold on to your homes. So we're fighting against, that's our primary, is our homes, our livelihoods. Yeah. So tell us more about your work. You're the chair of the Coalition of West Louisville Neighborhood Associations. Um, What does that organization do? The Coalition of West Louisville Neighborhood Associations is a group of uh, neighborhood associations that got together. I basically went around to meetings of their neighborhood associations. And it was supposed to be, this is before COVID, mind you. And it was supposed to be that we get together to take care of the mental health of our residents by throwing festivals. Okay. I said, let's, let's all the neighborhood associations get together and throw these huge festivals and something where people could just take a breath and have fun, nothing but fun. And I said, I think that would be therapeutic. They were all on board. Well, COVID hit and we switched gears. And everyone was on board with that. They said, we've got to protect our name. Na- our na- and then the gentrification was starting to, to show before COVID and started to excel after COVID by the uh, legislators. They had even thrown in things called TIFs, Tax Increment Financing. And that is where if they designate your area as a TIF designated area, only in your area will taxes rise. Nowhere else, only in your area will the taxes rise. That's the property taxes and sales taxes. They told us, they put this like governing board over it to tell us, uh, hey, we're gonna freeze your taxes for 20 years. So don't you don't have anything to worry about because your taxes is gonna be frozen. So the same taxes you're paying now, you'll be paying up until 20 years from now. However, we found out that they won't be frozen. They will be reimbursed, but you have to come up. Imagine coming up with the monies for a $200,000 home and you are a person, the me- medium wage here in in the West Louisville is like 48,000 and uh, the least is, uh, believe it or not, 9,000. You know, so the value of your home jumps up and you have to pay those property taxes before you could get reimbursed. So it's things like that, that we switched gears to preserve our neighborhoods, literally preserve our neighborhoods. And it's always said that when pandemics or when the economy is not right or inflation is coming, people band together. It's, it's remarkable how they band together. And also they, they started closing, the grocery stores started closing down. So now you got food uh, deserts. Like your local neighborhood stores? Yes. Oh, that's really unfortunate. Yeah. Yes. You got, we got food deserts and gentrification. So you're talking about our homes and our food. It's a mess, but. So you're working with folks and encouraging people to kind of keep their roots in the neighborhood and not like give in to selling to a developer and that sort of thing. 
the way it's being done is we're telling folks we don't have money. We may not have monies like the wealthy do. And, but guess what? When we pool our monies together, we could build an empire, practically build an empire. We could build our own grocery stores. We could build our own apartment complex, affordable homes. We could build our own schools, our own hospitals. We could build that in this area. And we can have what's called community economics developed here in this area. That's what we're teaching folks right now is about community economics. And I'm on the board of LACE, Global Association for Community Economics. And it is a, a nonprofit developer. And it will be opening a Louisville community-owned grocery store pretty soon. Oh, very um, cool. So we are finding out that co-ops and TIFs, believe it or not, can work together in a marriage that where because that money is only designated in a specific part of town, and that that money stays in a sort of like a pot. I'm gonna call it a pot. I don't know what else to call it. <laughs> it's a, a pot. The and that means the 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 prices that rise, the property taxes that rise, and the sales taxes that rise. That money right there that that rises over the typical the your normal uh, taxes that you're pay, you're paying right now. That money goes into that TIF pot. Mm-hmm. So that money right there only came from people in this area or people that shopped in this area. And that money is meant only for this area. Being that that money is meant for this area, that money should go to cooperative development so that it would ensure that the developments that are being created, all that money coming from the developments would again return back to the area that the money came from. See, because there now there's two streams of money. There's the regular stream still going to the city, but anything over that, the taxes risen over that, that money, only that specific money goes into, again, a TIF pot. So that money we're trying to explain should go only to cooperative developments, community owned developments. Yeah. So you're talking about this vision for the neighborhood. That's not like, okay, no new development, no new businesses, of course, but we want the new developments and housing and businesses to be something that is led by and benefiting people who live here and not, not like some outside person who just wants to, you know, make a quick profit. Is that right? Exactly. If you, if you look at private developers that come in, yes, they provide a service to us, but the the money goes to their stakeholders. The money doesn't return to us. We get the service, but the money's coming out of, from us, goes straight to their stakeholders or to the individual or private developers. However, a cooperative development, the money returns right back to the community. Yeah. What are some of the efforts that you're most proud of recently? Like, it, it, I know that some of these projects are just getting started, but like, are there any um, wins or things that you're particularly excited about that have happened so far? Well, to me, the win is 
everybody's eyes seem to be opening, everybody's minds. Every time we, we go to a community event and make a speech on cooperatives, the end of that speech, every, every event, the end of that speech, everyone has an enthusiastic applause and they just love it. They absolutely love it. I mean, you're talking about not just us, the city handing you uh, band-aids of monies to take care of this or band-aids of money to start this program or that program that you, you know, doesn't work. That you're talking about sustainability. You're talking about empowerment, true empowerment. Can you imagine walking into a grocery store and you're where you work and there's no longer going to be the word worker. There's going to be the words worker owner. You're walking into this grocery store. You work there, but guess what? You're part owner of it. You walk into apartment complex and you own the apartment complex. The people that manage, now you're, you're landlord, no more slumlords, no more slumlords. The, the landlord, if they don't fix your radiator or, or your heater, your whatever, you, if they don't fix your windows, if they don't do this, if they don't do that, guess who can put who out? It's the tenants that puts the landlord out and they just get a new landlord. So it flips the script on a lot of things. It's a game changer, an economic game changer. Yeah, I love this vision. So that's a good segue to um, so much of what you're talking about is is really relevant to this work that we advocate for at Strong Towns, neighborhood-based, um, growing incrementally, really being rooted in um, what communities need and not what some outside person or, you know, higher level of government says they need. Um, how did you get connected to Strong Towns? Uh, there was a, a owner partner. We call ourselves owner partners uh, of the co-op group that I'm with. And they put it, an email out to all of the board members if we were interested in that they found this themselves on an, from an email being passed to them through email emails being passed along. And I thought, I thought it was very interesting. Yes, they're right up our alley. <laughs> That's great to hear. Yeah. Yeah. So who else is involved in this effort? You're bringing together neighborhood associations, also the LACE co-op organization. Are there other local leaders or partners, groups that have been involved in, in this broader effort? This seems to be you know, I, I was talking to a worker, I mean, an owner partner of, of mine, and, and you know what we discovered? What We asked the question, what if we're living? We can't see that this is historic because we're living in history. What if what if that is happening? Because there's the, the co-op movement is growing and the, the people of disenfranchised parts of town they're getting sick and tired of being sick and tired, literally. And they're banning and looking for something to help them. And I tell you, I think this is it. If you look at it, private businesses, they have no competition 
from community businesses. I mean, where are they? Where's the community businesses that we're growing? We're coming for them. (laughs) We're going to be a force to be reckoned with, but it's an off balance right now. The private businesses totally rule, but the community, watch out for community economics. That's all I have to say. Yeah, that's very exciting. Before we close here, I also want to just like get a little bit more of a picture of your neighborhood. You talked about like some of the challenges going on. What are some of the things that you love about about West Louisville and, and your neighborhood there? There are so many organizations that are here. And I think the coalition, everyone banding together as a coalition, everyone's coming together instead of being in their own little pocket of the world, you know, doing their own thing. They're all coming together. They're learning that, you know, united we stand divided, we fall is the true statement. People are coming together and putting under coalitions. They're putting themselves under coalitions. That's what I'm I'm excited about that. That's wonderful. To close us out here, um, what advice would you give for somebody who's listening who might be enthusiastic about? I would say, look at co-ops and look at TIFs. Anyone that's interested in empowering a disenfranchised part of town Look at co-ops and and look at TIFs and see for yourself what that, what a game changer they can be. And I'm going to specify this. Do not put TIFs and co-ops in a wealthy part of town. It won't work. It'll just blend in with the norm, business as usual, other private industries, it, it will only work in disenfranchised parts of town because what it does is it eases the burden off of your cities, off of your governments and pouring monies into trying to, to help uh, residents in those areas when they know that they, they can't help them and they know that it doesn't work. It, it try, they try to make it work, but it does not work. It's just money just going by the wayside. But I think, and I think that the reason about that is when you, if you want to empower people, then empower them, give them something that they can say, they can walk down the street. How many businesses you own today? Oh, I own about three so far. I own that uh, hospital over there, own the apartment complex, own that grocery store on, on fifth, you know, and and have conversations like that, walking up and down the street in a disenfranchised neighborhood to have mindsets of ownership. The mindsets in that part of town of ownership, your kids coming up, they're being owners. And they just, it's a pipeline to, if you want to leave, you know, some people don't want to be rich. They just don't want to be rich. They just want to live and be happy. But there are others that want to be rich. It's a pipeline to, if you have that mindship of ownership, then go out there, take what you learned here in this, this not no longer disenfranchised part of town, but this in, this empowerment part of town and take what you learned here and go out there into the world. Now we give you a step 
we give you a platform, we give you a foundation to go out there and be equal with the rest of the world. Yeah. I love that vision for neighborhood prosperity. It's beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Danita Wright. It was a pleasure to talk with you. I will share some links for people to some of the websites of the organizations that you're involved with. Thank and you. Yeah, just appreciate the chance to talk with you today. Thank okay. you. Anytime. If you want to join fantastic people like Danita who are doing great things in their neighborhood, highly encourage you to become a member of Strong Towns. We see over and over that... The people who take that small step to become a supporting member, whether they give $5 a month, $50 a year, whatever it is, that step helps unlock an ability to take action in your neighborhood. Um, When you become a member, you get to attend a new member orientation where you meet other folks, um, get connected with resources that are tailored to what you're working on in your community, and you just get plugged into this community of awesome people like Miss Wright that are doing the work to build strong towns. So if you're inspired, head to strongtowns.org slash membership to join. Also reminding you that our Strongest Town nomination process is currently open strongtowns.org slash strongest town is the place to find all the information about the contest and to get your application in to nominate your community. Again, as I've said in the last episode, you don't need to be a perfect place to participate. You just need to be a place that is working to get stronger. So those applications are due by February 20th. So um, you have a little time, but not a lot. So um, take some time to nominate your community if you want to participate in the contest. And then last but not least, our locomotive tour kicked off today. Um, If you're listening now, you might still have a chance to attend that event. Um, The first one is about four zoning code reforms for Stronger Town. Either way, you can still hop on to attend um, any of the future events that we've got going on. And if you purchase a round trip ticket, you'll get access to the recording of that first zoning code event. So we've got a ton of informational, hands-on one-hour webinars that are coming up. These are really trainings, workshops. We've got guest speakers. We've got Strong Town staff um, and a lot of resources you'll be connected to if you attend the event. So strongtowns.org slash locomotive, or you can go to strongtowns.org slash events, our event page. There's a lot of ways to find your ticket and uh, we hope to see you on the tour. We've got some great episodes coming up for you all. And I would Also, again, extend an invitation if you have guest suggestions, if you yourself might be a good guest. Really, no project is too big or too small to talk about on this show. Um, You don't even need to be like working on a project. You can just be doing that Strong Towns work in your community, and we'd love to hear from you. So you can always shoot me an email, rachel at strongtowns.org. All right, we will see you back here next week for a new episode. Take care, everybody. (music) 